Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast with Kareem Farah, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 34 of the Modern Classrooms podcast. My name is Kate Gaskell. I'm the Director of Teaching and Learning here at the Modern Classrooms Project. And today I am joined by co-host, Modern Classroom mentor, and middle school teacher, Zach Diamond. Hi Kate, it's great to be here. And Modern Classroom mentor and second grade teacher, Alora Feaster. And before I'm going to have Alora introduce ourselves to our listeners, I am really excited today because we are talking about monitoring student progress in a modern classroom, kind of creating some great systems, both, you know, private for our students and public for the class. Um, So we can really ensure that our self-pacing structures in our modern classroom uh, are efficient. Yeah, this is a really exciting topic. And I just want to let our listeners know, since we'll be talking about progress trackers, which are usually very visual, I'm going to be linking a bunch of really cool examples in the show notes for this episode, including Alora's, Kate's, and my own. So you can find those show notes in the podcast player you're using right now. Or you can go to modernclassroomspodcast.fireside.fm slash 34 to check out those trackers and sort of follow along as, as we talk through them. So, Alora, before we get started, I'd love you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about your career in education and how you came to find the Modern Classrooms Project. Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Alora. I'm from Altoona, Pennsylvania. I teach in Bellwood, Pennsylvania, which is about 10 miles north of Altoona. This is my third year teaching. I've taught fourth grade, kindergarten, and I currently teach second grade. Modern Classrooms Project actually kind of came to me. I had some teachers in my school that had found the Modern Classrooms Project on Twitter, and they approached our technology admin and talked to her about how they thought that that would be a great thing to like bring into our school. So she looked more into it, and she kind of surveyed the staff and saw who all would be interested in it, and they actually decided to bring Kareem to the school to provide a training for us. And my principal actually approached me. I had no idea this was going on, but she approached me thinking that it was something I might be interested in. So I joined the training. I think he was there for like three days. He said it was an abbreviated version. And ever since then, I've been incorporating it actually into the math block in my classroom. That's so great. And you're one of our, you're one of our elementary mentors. How's that going for you? Well, I'm just starting out, but I've had great experiences so far. I've loved learning from the mentees that I've worked with. I think it's actually a really great like back and forth process. Like I know that I have more experience than some of the people that I'm mentoring, but I've learned so much from them. So I'm, it's been very beneficial and I'm great, very grateful to have had that opportunity. That's so good to hear. Um, you know, I completely echo, you know, whenever I get to mentor uh, educators, I feel like I'm learning so much more from you than you are from me. Yeah, uh, exactly. yeah we, all, we all say that. 
I was going to say, we, <laughs> we, we love, it's, it's part of the beauty of the Modern Classrooms Project. So let's dive in. You know, when we talk about monitoring student progress, you know, this really has to do a lot with self-pacing. You know, it's critical that we know and our students know where they are within a unit on any given day. You know, at the Modern Classrooms Project, we do believe in age-appropriate self-pacing structures in our modern classrooms. So, you know, K through 12, we self-pacing with guardrails, we kind of like to say. We encourage educators, you know, students are on the same unit, but they're on different lessons within a unit. They're working on different tasks on any given day. So, you know, we want to be able to know where our students are. And of course, we want them to know. And that's for a few reasons. And one of those, you know, is efficiency. We want to use class time well for ourselves, for our kids. And we want to know what we need to do to support our students. And this is going to go, we're going to be able to serve so many more students, make our one-on-one time, our small group time, our feedback much more effective if we can have those efficient systems in place. You know, modern classroom can feel like some organized chaos, especially when you're first starting out. But with a healthy progress tracking or monitoring system of some some sort, we can really make it feel less chaotic. And I think the second and third reasons we would want to monitor student progress closely is ensure that students are aware of their progress is to increase their motivation and then um, hopefully to encourage collaboration between our students. So let's jump in. I'd love to start by describing ways that we as an elementary educator, middle school educator, and myself, a former high school educator, how have we monitored and communicated student progress throughout a unit? Let's start there. Laura, how do you monitor progress and then communicate that progress with your second graders? So with my second graders, well, actually this came from when I started in kindergarten and I took, I had the training in October of kindergarten year. So these kids are like second month into school and we hadn't even taught all the letters yet. So they didn't know how to read most of them. So I'm like, well, I can't do anything that relies on them reading. So I went very basic with like color coded boxes and like pictures on a game board type roadmap. Then when I taught, started teaching second grade this year, I just took the same idea with me to second grade. So each unit I do, like I create a, it looks just like a Candyland game board almost. It's like colored squares. Each unit is a different color. And then within the unit, each little box is a different activity, like the video with guided notes or like practice pages or learning centers or mastery check. They have like little icons. So the kids actually each have their own paper version of that in their math folder. And they literally just crossed off the boxes as they go. So that's been great. Like I was able to use that successfully with kindergartners where they could keep track for themselves where they were every day. And like in kindergarten, they'd flip it open for me at the beginning of the day or at the beginning of the math class every day. So I could kind of get a pulse check of them, but they were actually really great themselves just knowing what they needed to do next. And I've seen the same thing in second grade. It's I've seen your progress tracker and it is really cool. That Candyland game board, like you describe, I, that's an app description. Thank you. <laughs> Zach, what about you? Um, so you teach middle school and I'm curious, what have you found to be age appropriate supports to monitor and communicate progress with your students? Yeah, well, middle school students are more or less able to read the pacing tracker, but that doesn't guarantee that they will. And I, I definitely still feel like making it as visual as possible is is still really important. I use a Google Sheets spreadsheet um, with columns that represent each lesson, and I put a check in the box that 
the student has finished that lesson. Um, and then I use colors as well to show what lessons are behind, ahead, and on pace. But really, the mechanics of the pacing tracker itself aren't as valuable to me as the data or for the students, right? Like seeing what lessons you finished and what lesson you're currently on. That's the big thing. And, and when we talk about modern classrooms being a data-driven approach to teaching, this is what we mean, I think. I, I mean, it's the raw data, right? Like it, it sounds very idealistic and sort of high concept, but really it's actually very down to earth and simple. Like what lessons you finished are the data. And once you have that data, you can use it in a lot of really cool and very powerful ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I always kind of said that before I started teaching with modern classrooms, it often felt that this idea about being, you know, data, a data driven teacher, data driven instruction, like I, I was kind of wondering realistically how to do this daily. Uh, You know, like, it's fine to take student data, examine it. uh, But I felt that I was not actually making instructional decisions for that student the very next day, always based on the data. I had to go on to the next lesson. Uh, I might tweak something for next year. I might keep something in mind when I'm, you know, grading that student's essay in a couple weeks, but it was sadly in the traditional structure, I couldn't really change uh, what we were doing tomorrow, you know? Um, So yeah, I agree with you. It sounds very high concept, but it was, this was really when this buzz term, if you will, data-driven instruction became very real to me. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Like prior to doing this, I thought like data-driven instruction, like what is that? Who even has time for that? But when you really look at it as Zach described it, it's, I mean, so simple. Like the students have the data at their fingertips that even they are able to steer their course to make the decisions what to access things as they are ready as well yeah Mm -hmm. it is that is so powerful is yeah when when we see students really taking ownership of their learning and practicing more self-regulation setting goals based on the data that we're sharing with them in my high school classroom i you know like you both i used i used a pacing tracker or we sometimes call them progress trackers either we'll probably switch between both during this conversation and i used both a public and a student facing um, my student facing was also it also had the do now questions so if a student walks in they're on let's say you know lesson 5.3 the objective and do now questions um, that they would do in a warm-up in the first few minutes of class would be on their student-facing progress tracker. So it's just a sheet of paper kept in their binder that has the target dates that hopefully, you know, you're finishing this lesson on this date if we are self-pacing well and we are going to uh, get everything we need to out of this unit. And I also used a public-facing tracker. Mine was quite simple. I used a PowerPoint slide. I know a lot of people uh, really love their Google Sheets or Excel progress trackers. That wasn't me. I just kind of kept it really simple. I had, uh, I always, you know, publicized the day's target lesson. I had a shout out box and a reminders box. Um, I did a couple other things, I think, to ensure, you know, at the high school level that my learners were they were very aware of their progress. One of those things is I did a daily warm up or do now where you know, the students had to articulate where they were and if this was on, behind, or ahead of pace. And sometimes if they were behind pace, they needed to set a goal. Um, I think another thing that I did is later on in the year, especially you know at the high school level when 
third quarter came around, I would have an individual support document for students who were kind of chronically behind pace. And they met with me daily. It was just this expectation, like, you know, this very itemized list of, you know, okay, did we do this? Did we do that? Um, And then with the expectation that they're going to have a conversation with me each day. Um, You know, it's, it's interesting because we see so much of what we're doing around monitoring progress in our classrooms revolve around this progress tracker or this pacing tracker. It serves so many functions in a modern classroom for the students and for the teacher. Like we talked about this a little bit, but let's go deeper. How has using the progress tracker, um, how has this helped your students and as learners? And then how has it helped you uh, as the instructor? Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I've mentioned this before. I feel like the the progress tracker or the pacing tracker, it's kind of like the centerpiece of my classroom. It is the structure of the classroom. Um, it serves many, many functions. I say that the for the students, the biggest ones are knowing what to do next. Uh, just, you know, we hear a lot of teachers that students who are either not engaging or even misbehaving, it's because they don't know what to do, right? But with a pacing tracker that says you are on lesson three, you know, it's not hard for them to know what to do. And then they can either log into the LMS and find lesson three, or you can tell them to do that because you have the data too. Um, Knowing what to do really is very helpful for students, like knowing exactly where to go and what to do. And I would say also that for the students, it gives them a really good sense of sort of how productive they're being. And it shows them how their habits affect their progress. Because, you know, if they choose on a particular day to watch YouTube for the entire class, then they'll come back the next day, the pace will have moved on, but they will not have moved on. And so it really gives you a a very immediate sense of how your habits affect your progress, sort of on a daily basis. For for me, I would say that the two biggest benefits to having this pacing tracker for me are that I can really target the instruction where it's needed. And this goes back to Kate, what you were saying before about like tomorrow, I can see who fell behind yesterday and, and I can go and sit with them, right? I can see what lesson they're on. I can I know exactly which students to pull if I need to. And that's that's what I plan in the morning, right? I look at the pacing tracker before class and I say, well, I'm going to work with these three kids today from this section. And that's daily data-driven instruction, I think, right? And then the final one I would add is family communication because I use a spreadsheet and so I can do mail merges. And it's amazing. Like the... The data that I'm using for my class anyway is really easily condensed into a short email of like a progress report that I can send to the 150 families, you know, that I teach. And uh, that's that's huge for me. I wrote a blog post on it. I'll put it in the show notes. Like it's it's amazing how powerful that is. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. And now I'm kind of like rethinking why didn't I use a Google Sheets or Excel tracker? That's a good idea. Yeah, for that mail merge reason. Well, no, you know, it's funny. I was I was thinking about this. Kareem's tracker, which was the first one that I ever saw, was like yours. And they're just different styles. I think that it's yeah. totally fine. Like teachers thinking about it in different ways. And you put more academic stuff in your tracker and I kind of put more quantitative data stuff in my tracker. And it's just, we all think about stuff differently. And I've seen a lot of different kinds of pacing trackers. Oh, yeah. We've seen some really amazing ones, both public and student facing um, through mentoring other educators just we'll we'll put a we'll put some we'll put a collection in the show notes just incredible creativity yeah yeah i think that there are definitely a lot of different ones and i think about even in my own classroom like i have the student facing one which is their game board and like zach said like 
that really empowers the students to know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Like in my classroom of seven and eight year olds, like I think that it's pretty impressive that anybody could walk in there and see all of them doing different things at the same time, but doing it independently. Like they don't need me to hold their hand and help them figure out what they're supposed to be doing. They always just know what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Then I also have like the public um, pacing tracker and mine's very simplified. It's just like construction paper colors, like laminated construction paper that correlates with the colors of the blocks. And they literally, I literally have their faces cut out and put on there with Velcro. I love that. They just move their face to the color that matches their map. And like that also, I feel like is great for the kids because I'm one person and I make it a point to like communicate to them that I can do like one thing really well at a time. So they know like, oh, this person's ahead of me on the map. So they could help me do this because the teacher's not available. So I've found that that's really good for them to take ownership of their learning. They're not just sitting at their desks waiting for me to be able to help them. Like they are able to seek out other ways to figure out what they need to do or to problem solve. Then I also have like a teacher facing project tracker, I'd call it. I actually call it a completion checklist and it's also color coordinated, but it has all the things listed. And I kind of use that almost as a grade book. Like when I'm checking their work, like I just write notes about their grades in there and like put asterisks if I need, if like a kid needs help. So then that, that helps me inform what I'm going to do during the next math class. And it also gives me like numbers in front of me, like telling me like how they're doing. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just all of those within my own classroom like really makes me think about the broad variety that there is out there and like how many different ways you can approach it and how we can really use these tools and very creative ways to be very useful in our classrooms. Yeah. And I think it just highlights, you know, listening to the, like, Laura, I love that you're using what we might call a physical tracker. You know, the students have the responsibility of getting up, moving their face or their picture. Um, yeah. yeah. And they love it. Like I bet it's so motivating for them. Yeah. And I, I just think it just reminds me and for anyone listening, really the educator is the expert. That's, I feel like that is, um, you know, we wholeheartedly believe that at the modern classrooms project and you know, what's best for your students, you know, and you can decide which progress tracking system, which way to monitor progress and communicate that to kids, what works best for you in your unique classroom. And, you know, there's, there's obviously best practices that we're going to do, you know, we're going to, regardless of the type of progress tracker that we have, we're going to update it regularly, you know, and we're going to, um, uh, it will never display grades. You know, it's, it's a measure of hard work and progress. And we, are going to frame it positively. You know, we're going to, you know, emphasize that this, this can be a motivator. This can be a tool for collaboration, you know, but the sky's the limit in terms of what you want to design for your classroom. I know for me, one of the things that I loved most, how it really benefited me as the instructor was I loved how it normalized revision because, because I did use, I did opt to use both a student facing and a public facing tracker. So when I had my public uh, tracker up on the board, it was really powerful how, okay, you know, at the beginning of the year, this oftentimes this is the first time a student has been asked to revise, (laughs) you know, there's this attitude like, but I did it. 
So I'm done. I did it. And you're kind of undoing many, many years of how school has been done. And I'm curious, Alora, do you do you experience that as a second grade teacher? Just this idea kind of at the beginning, just a little resistant and confusion uh, being when asked to revise? Yeah, especially like, it's probably true at all ages, but they will, in the beginning of the year, especially rush through things just to get it done. And then when I hand it back and I'm like, try that again, and they just stare at me because they're not used to not having any feedback because but I'm like if you don't understand how to do that or what was wrong you should probably watch the video again and then as we've progressed through the year like I've seen growth in them being more careful and more intentional about their work and they're not as disappointed to have to go back and try things again as they were in the beginning like they almost expect that there's probably something that they're going to have to revise and like it's normal it's just a normal thing like we have made it a part of our culture that everybody makes mistakes and like we always have to go back and like do things or we can always do things better. And I really, I really love that because, and we we're going to see at various points in the year that we're all going to, we're all going to be asked to revise. Even my right. students who were, you know, my 10th, you know, it's kind of funny when you ask a high schooler to revise and they're not used to it, you sometimes get more than a blank stare, but <laughs> uh, sometimes words are shared. And I'm sure. And you know, at the beginning of the year, like I said, it, it, it's, it's a tough adjustment. We're asking them to completely rethink how they are doing school. Um, but it's the, you know, the first time they walk in, look at the, look at the progress tracker and, you know, their name in my classroom might be in purple for revise. And just, there's like this, like, Oh, okay. Yep. Revise. And, and you know, and, and, and they get other notes and they maybe start looking something over again. And it is, it's so powerful to see that shift. I get so excited about it. And I don't know if I would have been able to normalize this idea of revision and, you know, growth being a process without, the public facing tracker. Yeah, no, Kate, you know, I want to add, since you're talking about the conditioning of kids sort of against that idea of revision, I've taught kids for multiple years now in my modern classroom. And the year that they come back, right, like I had them last year as a sixth grader, and now they're a seventh grader in my class again. And they carry that over, you know, so Allura, like you're teaching them now as second graders, and they might be resistant at first, but they're going to carry that with them. And so, by the time they get to sixth grade, they'll be in a much better place than my sixth graders were last year who are in a better place now. Like this is the kind of attitude that we want to be instilling in these kids from the beginning. And so I'm, I'm really, really happy to hear that even in second grade, even in kindergarten, that they're, they're getting that. I think about the resilience that that can create in a learner and this ability to um, and how that's going to benefit them academically, professionally, but also socially, emotionally. I like this idea that we are communicating grace and that we are, we're human. Right. Like you can try it again. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that? And I, I think that's one of the best things about teaching is that idea that we always get to try it again. You know, like, oh, it didn't go so well. Let me tweak it for, you know, the next class period or the next unit or, right. you know, I, I'll teach this again next year. And I, I think that it's, it's only fair that we get to communicate that spirit of like, hey, let's try again to our kids. I will say that it is surprising to them because they're so used to like doing something and it's done either the teacher leads them through it and they get everything right in first grade or they turn it in and it's over. They don't ever look at it again. So I do think that it's very foreign to them at first to be presented with the concept that like, Oh, I'm not done with this. I have to go back and I can make it better. But I do think that 
I've seen a lot of growth with them over this year that they like appreciate that grace, as you said, to improve themselves. Like this is not the final be all end all. I can always make it better. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important. And for me, that was one of the, that was, and just such an efficient system around communicating revision was invaluable to me in my classroom. And especially, you know, in, in a self-paced environment, which as we mentioned, can, can be kind of a chaotic shift at first. I'm curious, why did you, it sounds like, like Laura, you also opted to use both a student facing and a public um, facing uh, student progress tracker. Why did you opt for both? Well, initially I chose the public one because I thought it was a great, easy visual way for not only the students, but for me to see like where everybody was and kind of like make choices on the teacher end to like keep the group closer and kind of more around the same area. But then I realized the benefit that it had for the students to be able to utilize that to seek out friends to help them. So I am obviously very happy that I did that. And then I just thought like the the student facing tracker is a, like a no brainer. Like they're not in the same place. They do need a way to keep that organized and keep that going for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of was kind of my shift too. I I think I started out paying more attention to the public facing option. And I used my student facing one less as a checklist and just more as a simple like, oh, here's the do now questions, you know, or here's the objective. Um, and I saw something similar that I really thought that, okay, my, my kids need to be very much on the same page. They need this right in front of them. Um, Zach, what about you? Why did you, um, why did you opt for the nature of the progress tracker you chose? Well, with regard to public versus private trackers, I sort of always knew I'd be using a public tracker just because I don't use very much paper. Like my students don't keep binders or notebooks. And besides the guided notes, just about everything I do is digital. I have put a little thought into setting up some kind of a digital tracker, but I've never gotten around to it. It always seemed really complicated and I never got my head around it. Although listening to both of you talk about those private like student-facing trackers, I'm actually considering putting a tracker into the guided notes packet next year because it does sound super useful, like a little metacognitive exercise each day that keeps the kids aware of their progress. So yeah, I might try that next year. And in terms of the actual structure, like the format of my tracker, you know, looking back on it now, I think it's because of the way that I teach a project-based class. I remember I went before I did the modern classrooms training like two years ago, I was still teaching traditionally. I went and I observed Kareem's and also your classroom. Um, oh, did you really? Yeah, we, you were actually teaching. Like, I walked into your classroom and you were actually teaching. Um, I suppose it's a good thing that I just kept going. <laughs> yeah, and Kareem's too. And both of you were using the sort of one PowerPoint slide with every student's name and what lesson they're on. Um, and I went back to school. There was a sub, right? I literally walked back into my class that was happening with a sub. And I had made a slide on the drive back. Obviously, I was not driving. <laughs> <laughs> the like I made a slide in my lesson slides for that day, which was basically like all of the lessons across the top. And then I was like, okay, everybody walk up to the board, put your name on the left and put a check under every lesson you've done. Like I literally did it that day. Um, and that was like my proto tracker. And I, and thinking back, like I did it that way and not your way and Kareem's way. And I think it's because students were already sort of in 
different places, even though I was not teaching in a modern classroom yet, uh, it really gives you a sense, I think, of the sort of progression through a unit, right? Like all 10 lessons are up top and then your name is on the left side and how many X's you have on the tracker shows your progress. And then I can use other symbols like an R for revise. Or if it's an aspire to and the kid wants to skip it, I use an S. And I don't know. I just feel like for for the project-based units that I teach, it gave a better sense of sort of like the scope of the entire unit, you know, as opposed to saying today, this particular lesson is on pace. Um, and I just use color coding for that. But I hadn't really given it that much thought until now, except that I did realize that I I did it that way. Uh, I did not copy yours and Kareem's. I did it that way, kind of like a Kanban board, like right off the bat. And now thinking back, I think that might be why. Were you one of our very first innovators, Zach Diamond? <laughs> Maybe I was. <laughs> I I don't know. Oh, I love, I can't wait to continue this conversation. We're going to take a quick break. Thank you, listener. Hang with us. We'll be back in just a sec. Hi, everyone. It's Kareem from the Modern Classrooms Project. I just wanted to take a moment to remind everyone about our Summer Institute. The seats are filling up. We will be training over a thousand educators across the country and actually the world through our virtual mentorship program and our variety of synchronous sessions that are both optional and a few that are required. We're super, super excited about the program. The seats are almost full. There's just a few spots left. So if you are interested in attending, make sure to go to modernclassrooms.org backslash summer dash institute. You can learn more about the program, the different enrollment options, the costs. And I encourage everyone to decide soon if you want to participate because we will be full probably before the end of April. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back. Let's jump into talking, uh, continuing our conversation about public progress or pacing trackers. Um, and I'm curious, have either of you ever received pushback from a parent or an administrator about the public nature of the tracker? And how did you respond? I can say that I've had great experiences with my public pacing tracker. I've not had any pushback so far. I guess I'll say that fortunately I haven't had that. I don't know. Have you guys ever had any pushback? I also have not. You're right. That is fortunate. I do know of a couple teachers who who have gotten feedback from parents that they didn't want their kids' grades being shown to the class. Uh, but I'm pretty emphatic that we are not showing them their grades. Right. Right. It's it's a mind. I've talked about this before on the podcast. It's a mindset shift away from grades to one of progress. And I don't know. I I feel like that mindset shift is very subtle, but it does make a difference. And I I've personally never experienced any pushback. The the teachers that I know who have do things like anonymizing their trackers. If they're public facing, you know, they'll let the kids they'll use random numbers or they'll let the kids come up with like an alias or a nickname or something. But I personally have not had any pushback. Yeah, I I can't say that I did either. Um, In fact, I had parents you know, really like it actually. Um, yeah. and I, I think when I, putting on my, my modern classroom staff hat, I can say that, you know, every once in a while we will get a question, um, based on that. And I think that oftentimes parent concerns do arise kind of like you pointed out, Zach, from misunderstandings, from this idea, I, you know, I don't want my child's grade on there. And of, of course not, that would be horrible and a very clear violation of FERPA, um, the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act. Um, so I think a lot of the concerns that are raised 
once parents or administrators really understand what we're doing, it, it, it can clear up. You know, I think if I were to give listeners um, a few talking points about that, I would say, you know, one, they never display grades um, or ability to progress through a specific unit. Two, students always have the opportunity to catch up. You know, we are big believers in revision. The beauty of a modern classroom is a student can access their teacher outside of class through the instructional videos. The tracker should not and doesn't, when done well, reflect ability level. It reflects effort and, you know, differentiation is addressed in appropriate ways. And, you know, reminding parents that this can be a really powerful tool for collaboration, for the efficiency of the classroom, for motivation. Students oftentimes can identify peers who have mastered a skill and they can also look around and help peers who have it. So I think that, you know, overwhelmingly the response we get is is very positive. Um, it sometimes just takes a little bit you know, some, some messaging. And, you know, of course, an educator, you know, again, the educator is the expert. Um, you know, you know, your classroom, you know, your unique school context, um, kind of like Zach said, you know, we see, we see creative ways around, um, you can, again, not use student names, use nicknames, uh, use numbers. One of the cutest things I think I've seen is the use of emojis, you know, students pick their emoji, and then they can share their emoji, you know, with students they maybe sit with or feel comfortable collaborating with. Um, but they don't have to share it with everyone. And, you know, even if you opt to, to only use a student facing progress tracker, there are still some things you can do around building collaboration, you know, kind of coming up with a pod or, you know, giving kids input in their, in who's in their pod or who's in their group. And, the, you know, these are people who you're going to share your progress with daily. Um, things like that, you know, we can swap your game board and, and with these people that you're comfortable with. There's still some things that we can, we can do. Um, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's educator discretion and, and creativity, really. Um, kind of on this point about uh, the uses and routines around our progress tracker, we talk a lot about fostering self-regulation and organization and some of those other great executive functioning skills in our students. Um, I'm curious what you've seen maybe mentees use or you yourself. Um, how can you use your progress tracker and routines perhaps around them to help foster some of these executive functioning skills in students? Well, I'll go first because I have very young students. I taught kindergarten last year and second grade this year and like they don't really have organizational skills or self-regulation skills so much in the educational setting. So like the progress tracker for them, like the student facing one, absolutely like teaches them those skills that they didn't have before. When I had kindergartners, I had five and six year olds using this self-pacing tracker, going to the areas in the classroom they needed to go to get the things, flipping open their workbook to the page that it said on the tracker and like finding things themselves. So I really do think that it taught those skills to my students that I don't believe that they had on their own before we implemented this instructional model in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Zach? I'm curious in the middle school level, you know, elementary Alora, like you, you're absolutely right that they don't have them. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're blank canvases. They are starting out. Um, what about at the middle school level, Zach? I think by the middle school level, if they haven't had modern classrooms classes yet, they have been sort of conditioned to to not have those skills in certain senses, and so you know, seeing that you can fall behind can be jarring for them. And I think that that's that's a teachable moment in a very authentic way. Right? We talk about teachable moments, but it's like. 
like I said before, you know, if a kid goofs off for a day and doesn't complete a lesson, then the very next class they'll come back and see the effect that that had on their progress. And it's a really great opportunity for me to sit and talk with them, right? Kareem has talked about this before, and I think it's a great question to ask a kid is, you know, was it worth it? right? Did you really enjoy yourself and have like a life-changing experience or were you just watching some YouTube, right? And I guess that that's sort of leading the witness, but if you can ask them in, <laughs> in a less accusative way, it they always say no. I mean, they're always, they always feel worse about falling behind than they felt good about watching the videos, right? And so right. it's a great opportunity for them to see like, this actually has an effect. When I procrastinate on something and I don't do what I'm supposed to today, you know, future me has to pay for it uh, with my time or maybe my stress, right? And the first time that that happens, you know, kids can get uncomfortable, but then they learn over time. Like, you know, I'll fall behind if I don't do this, so I'm going to do it now. And I I would also say, like, it gives me data. And again, when I say the word data, I'm talking about what lessons a student has done and what lessons they haven't done, right? In a very objective way, I can go to the kid and say, you're behind. Something happened and you need to catch back up. And it's it doesn't feel very emotional to me. It feels very objective. Right. Uh, and yeah. so... I think that that's probably true of pacing trackers at, at all levels, not just middle school. But yeah, I, I think that it's really, really very powerful, especially for younger kids, even middle schoolers who are still learning those executive functioning organizational skills. Yeah. Um, you know, I, for the high school teachers listening, um, and maybe even middle school and elementary, uh, cell phones and, uh, skills around and just awareness of cell phone use. Um, Middle school too. Middle school too. Oh my goodness. This was a huge problem. You know, my school, my school sadly did not really have a strong cell phone policy. So we would have students who frankly would fail all their classes for a quarter just because they were on their phone constantly. You know, we knew the student was capable, um, but this really <laughs> was, you know, a, a digital addiction, if you will. And um, I used my progress trackers. I really liked what you were saying about like, you know, being objective, being, um, you know, you're not, you're not accusing a student of something you're, you know, it, you're using data um, to have a conversation about what we need to, what we need to do. So this student can, can be on a better path. Um, and I would use my progress tracker and the system of monitoring really around cell phones. Um, so if a student was behind, because, you know, sadly, again, my school didn't really have a policy. Um, so I would use in some of my classes, I would use the progress tracker to say just the blanket rule, like you can have your phone if you're on pace, you know, keep your phone, um, by all means, uh, you know, phones are great. Um, but if we start to fall behind pace, um, there's not, you know, that's our, our first priority is getting caught up and really trying to message this in kind of a, a, a way of, you know, of logic, um, and saying like, and when you, when you are on pace again, by all means, I, you know, like I'm going to keep your phone safe. It's with me. Um, you know, if there's an emergency by like, please tell me if it's a strange day and you're expecting some kind of call, um, that's important at, you know, like talk to me about it, but like, let's get you back on pace and then, and then worry about the phone. And that was a game changer. Yeah. You know, even little kids can hear that and not interpret it as being punitive. Right. You know, it's not punitive. It's very clearly like this cell phone is holding you back. If you weren't being 
you know, if you weren't falling behind, you could still have it. And it feels kind of like you're giving them an incentive, but you're not. You're teaching them like if you want to focus, you know, you this is this is holding you back. Because I I think that they're just they're really for some kids, not all, but some there wasn't an awareness how much they were on it, you know, Um, and how they had really just kind of developed this habit of, you know, answering every text or, you know, having it just out on their desk. And it was very distracting. So yeah, that was that was a you know a self regulation, an aspect of self regulation that I I tried to implement um, around it. There's it's these you know these progress trackers, uh, our systems and routines around them are so useful. Uh, I'm curious, you know, we haven't really touched on collaboration or student recognition and celebration, and um, how have progress trackers helped you in those areas in the modern classroom? Well, I know like. My students are very good at knowing who is around them and within the unit. So they are good at seeking out help, like I've said before. But they are also, like by this point in the year, they figured out, like we have centers incorporated, like learning centers in the math units. And they figured out like, oh, if I just do work on this next activity, then I can go back to the center with my friend and we can work on it together. So they've actually started coming up to me and saying, Hey, can I wait until so and so is on the the center number four or whatever, and then we can do it together? And so I think that it's actually become a tool for them to use to like seek out friends to work with, and it's also kind of been rewarding for them in that aspect because they like having the control of like kind of choosing who they're working with and how they're doing that work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been I feel like I've been banging this drum forever. The pacing tracker gives us the data to allow kids to collaborate um, in lots of ways, too. It's not just like you're all on lesson three, so you're a group. You're all on lesson four, so you're a group. I mean, that's great. You can do that. But, you know, you could also take two kids that are one lesson behind and pair them with one kid who is one lesson ahead. Like you can right, yes. you can mix them up in, in interesting ways, um, but the pacing tracker gives you the data to be able to do that. And, you know, I will say... Uh, when we send kids to other kids who are like, quote unquote, experts on a particular lesson, I really always make it a point to not only send kids to students who are ahead, if that makes sense. Like if I have a student who's on pace, but it's like a master of lesson three, or even one who's behind, but it did a really fantastic job on a previous lesson, and another student needs help with that lesson, I think it's important to show like, if you're a if you're a pro at one of these lessons, it doesn't matter if you're ahead or behind, you know, if they can spare the time, right? If they're really far behind, you don't want to pull them away from their work. But I think that it's important to recognize uh, success on every lesson and celebrate that just because kids can see that way that, you know, mastering something is is really, it's really meaningful. We had a, a whole podcast episode on this sort of organic collaboration that can come out of the pacing tracker. Uh, and I'll link that in the show notes. I think you bring up a good point about how it doesn't have to be the ones that are the furthest ahead. Like you can highlight strengths of friends or students that have done well. And then that's very empowering for students sending them the message that it's not about how fast you do it or how well you do it. It's about mastering it and putting in the effort to really learn the content so that you can become a friend or a student that's a helper for other students. Yeah. And they, and they learn that. And they also learn to go to other students from the tracker. I remember when we were in the physical classroom, this is a little bit tougher teaching remotely, but you know, kids would come over to me and I would be doing something and they would have a 
simple question from a lesson, right? And I would say, look up at the tracker and see which students have an X for that lesson and go ask one of them. And then, you know, after like a month of being turned away by me, they would just start to do it on their own. And and so I feel like it it's another mind shift, right? In the kids, it's like, instead of the teacher knows all the answers and he's the only person or she's the only person who can help me. There are other people here who have an X on this lesson and they might be able to help me too. Yeah. And so you see them help each other. You see them start to ask each other questions or if they're sitting next to each other, they'll just talk about the lesson. And it's really very cool. It is. And it's, it's, I think we're sending really powerful messages about our classrooms and what school can be yeah. uh, when we acknowledge our students and we build up their expertise. And also, hey, research shows that, you know, if our students can teach something to other students, they are more likely to retain that content. So I, it's, you know, it's not only important for making students feel like they belong, and they are celebrated and recognized, uh, but it's it's good for them as learners too. Um, I can't believe that we, I could talk about this for many, many more minutes, but we have to wrap up. Um, I guess my last question is, you know, when we use these systems to carefully monitor our students' progress, how have you seen your ability to serve students change? You know, when you have this accurate pulse check on what they've mastered and where they need support, um, how have you, how has this changed you in your instruction? I think it's really made me more, or just given me the ability to actually be more intentional about choosing what I'm going to spend my little mini lesson time on with the kids. It's actually going to be something that benefits a majority of them versus like just throwing something out there and hoping it's meaningful for them. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I act, actually have the data to inform my decisions on what I'm going to choose to talk about with whichever students at whichever time, but it's actually intentional and it's meaningful and it's just a great use of my time and a great use of their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Zach? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've made most of the points already that have sort of illustrated how this has been incredibly beneficial to me. I guess the two things that I would say to wrap up here are that knowing what lesson each individual student is on lets me choose which kids I need to support on a, a, any given day, right? And that's that's my data-driven teaching right there, similar to what Allura was saying. I guess one thing I haven't mentioned yet, which I think is is important to remember when you're looking at a pacing tracker, is that the whole class pulse check, it gives me a sense of how my lesson and unit planning went right for that for that unit uh like if you know all the kids are zooming way ahead it might be too easy and if all the kids are struggling to stay on pace it might have been too hard or i might have not given clear instructions or something might have happened and it'll be a cue to me to look at it i can also see like when my different sections of the same class are moving at different paces uh because you know I feel like teachers all know this, right? Different classes have like these different sort of like emotional valences to them and, right. you know, they'll, they'll perform differently. Yeah. Um, maybe not so much in elementary school. You have the kids, most of the same kids the whole day, right? But Yeah, but you see it year to year. Like I, I get what you're saying. Right. You know, so one, one, one class will be doing really great. Then the next class will come in and they won't talk to me and they'll all be way behind on the tracker and it'll be awkward. But but, you know, that shows me this class needs more full group support and I can provide that. It's it's just data. It's just data that tells me what to do every single day. And because I'm not planning lectures, you know, and that's not my like 
all my brain power and my time being spent trying to figure out how I'm going to communicate some hard concept to a group of 25 kids. You know, I use that data every single day to just plan what I'm going to do tomorrow. And it's it's just been it's probably the most the the biggest shift in my teaching has been around the pacing tracker. And it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I like that. It's a good place to leave it. Friends, thank you for joining me tonight. Alora, Zach, this was really fun. And thank you to you, the listener. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.